Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. And may we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are Yoranai, who teaches Torah to his people, Yisrael. Amen. You know, we first bought this building uh, three or four years ago. We couldn't help but notice that this room looks like the ark. And I think that there's a lot of uh, spiritual truth to that. Baruch Hashem. So it's, it's always wonderful to discuss the flood and uh, how Hashem saved his people, Baruch Hashem. So we want to uh, begin reading in chapter 7, the Artsko Humash, Baruch Hashem, which as Celia rightly pointed out, there is no chapter 7, there's no number 7 in English on the page. There is not. It's a typo. I'm not the only one, you see. I inherit it from art school. Capiculo <laughs> siete, verso uno. Then Adonai said to Noah, Come to the ark, you and your household, for it is you that I have seen to be righteous before me in this generation. Of every clean animal, take unto you seven pair, a male with its mate, and of the animal that is not clean, too, a male with its mate. Now, just want to pause there. Many of the uh, veterans uh, came to the realization of this, but there's always people who are first-timers and listening for the first time who have been taught and they're, since they were little that the animals came into the ark two by two. And uh, that's true, but they've never been told that the uh, clean animals, the pure animals, came in two by two by seven pair. And the unclean animals came in two by two, one pair. Which means that uh, we didn't eat pig, because if that had been the case, there would be no pigs today. Because uh, now I know y'all are all scientists. If you eat one pig, you eat the female pig, and you have a male pig, there's no more pigs, right? All right. Because y'all all know about the birds and the bees and pollen and all that kind of stuff. So it says, of the birds of heaven, also seven pair, male and female, to keep seed alive upon the face of the earth. For in seven more days, we're going to come back to that in a second, Bezrat Hashem, for in seven more days, time, I will send rain upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will blot out all existence that I have made from upon the face of the ground. And Noah did according to everything that God, that Adonai, had commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood water was upon the earth. Noah with his sons, his wife and his sons' wives with them, went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of the clean animal, of the animal that is not clean, of the bird and of each thing that creeps on the ground, two by two, they came to the ark, male and female, as God commanded Noah. The, the, the Torah makes a point to, to express yet again that the, the impure animals came in just one pair. Again, God is trying to say you're not supposed to eat these one, these, these unclean. 
You eat the clean. Why do we eat? What are the clean animals, by the way? The clean animals were the ones that were allowed to be offered on the altar in the temple. Think about that. To include the birds. The clean animals you were allowed to offer on the altar in the temple, which is why you're only supposed to eat those animals, because we are temples and our hearts are altars. And when we bring in unclean, when you eat food that is not kosher, when you, when you, and I know I'm speaking to the Levitical choir here, but when, you, when somebody eats pork, for instance, or shellfish like shrimp or lobster, they are offering swine on the altar of God. You say, that's harsh. But it's true, because everybody would agree that you're, we're the temple of God, right? Everybody, right? everybody believes that. That's in the Gideons. And so I've, I've, I've asked this question before rhetorically to people and said, listen, if the temple existed today, you know, the, despite your denominational belief or whoever you are, you know, whatever, if the temple existed today, would you feel comfortable bringing a swine, a hog, a pig, a sow, as it were, into the temple grounds and slaughtering it and offering its carcass and blood on the altar of God? Now, Everybody I've, I've said that to automatically says, absolutely not. Then why do you eat it? You see? And that's when they rebuke me and get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> they don't really say that. But that is, if you think about that analogy, it brings a lot of clarity. So it says in, uh, where, are, where do we leave off? But verse 10, And it came to pass after the seven-day period that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On that very day, Noah came with Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, with Noah's wife, and three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after its kind, every animal after its kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, and every bird of, of, of any kind of wing. They came to Noah into the ark, two by two of the flesh in which was the breath of life. Thus, thus... They that came, came male and female of all the flesh, as God had commanded him, and Adonai shut it on his behalf. Then the flood was on the earth forty days, the waters increased and raised the ark, so it was lifted above the earth, and the waters strengthened and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark drifted upon the surface of the water. The waters strengthened very much upon the earth. All the high mountains which are under the earth's heavens were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters strengthen, and the mountains were covered, and all flesh that moves upon the earth expired. Among the birds, the animals, the beasts, and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth, and all mankind. All in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, of everything that was on the dry land died, and he blotted out... All existence that was on the face of the ground, from man to animals to creeping things, and to the birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah survived, and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters strengthened on the earth a hundred and fifty days. It's a long time. The, uh, it wasn't just that it rained, as we just read, 
But it said that the waters of the deep opened up and gushed forth. Uh, as an aside, many years ago, my wife and I were up late one night, this is going way back before the such thing as flat screen TVs, and um, we were watching in, uh, like the PBS channel, and this little program came on, it was kind of sponsored by Na uh, NASA, and they showed a imagery of the earth, they kind of showed the earth has kind of like a seam in the, around the middle or whatever, and there was an interesting dialogue, they were talking about the possibility of the great flood, and how it looked as if maybe the, uh, the earth had kind of, you know, two halves kind of parted and water came up out of that seam. And in the polar regions, it would have shot way up into the atmosphere and then come back as sheets of ice, basically, and would have flash frozen anything in the polar regions. Right, it wasn't flat, no, it wasn't a flat earth, that's true. Um, there's that. To all of our scientists out there, how do we know it's not a flat earth? Because right now it's dark in Israel. <laughs> Just let that sink in. <clears throat> but that too is a conspiracy. The government shuts off the lights over there. That's how we know. So... Um, can you imagine? I want you to think for a second because I was reading in an insight... And it was talking about, you know, we think about the flood. He, Hashem gets us into the ark, and I say us, but talking about Noah and his family. Get into the ark, and he shuts the door, and you know, it starts to rain, and the water comes up. But there's an insight talking about the great commotion of all the animals and all the people who were clawing at the door and screaming and crying and, and trying to get inside. Um, and Noah was saying, for 120 years... And seven days, we preached and t taught and encouraged. And I just want you to imagine, if you will, what that must have been like to be in an ark, and it's just you and your family, and the entire world and all the animals are screaming their lungs out in terror. It's horrible. It's horrible. And we, sometimes we think about these Bible stories in a very clinical atmosphere. We think about it very clinically. There was an ark, there was water, we got in, we were saved. Not thinking about the people who were clawing at the door and screaming and crying. Now, Noah taught them, he preached them, he encouraged them, but I just want to point this out that, that when I read that, I just kind of sat back and really, really imagined what that must have been like. And it was encouragement to me to want to get as many people into the ark as possible. Um, and I think that sometimes if we've been talking the last couple of weeks here, as we've been kind of refocusing our vision, I think that everything we see, and I, I mentioned this before, I know, but everything we see going on physically in the synagogue right now is, is a physical picture of a spiritual renewal that we're going through. The renovation of the parking lot, you say, well, that's really, really cool. That's going to look really, really nice, and it'll be, um, it'll be clean. It'll, make us, it'll look nice. It'll be safe to walk upon, um, you know, whatever, whatever. But really, that's a spiritual renewal that's going on out there. What's happening in the children's rooms is a spiritual renewal. What's happening in the classrooms is a spiritual renewal. What's going about to happen upstairs um, is a spiritual renewal. What, God willing, maybe is going to happen in the, in the kitchen to get some new countertops in there. It's going to be a spiritual renewal. What's going on at the mikvah is obviously a spiritual renewal. A lot of spiritual renewal going on here, but God says, look, I'm, I, God always renews us for a purpose. 
He always renews us because he's trying to renew us and equip us. And so I was thinking about all this and about how important it is to bring people into the ark because a lot of times when we get self-centered, which happens, you know, we go through periods, we get self-centered, we get real clinical. We get real clinical, like, oh, you know, and then we, don't, we forget about everybody else. We don't care about them anymore. We don't really care if the people come in or not. It's really not about them anymore. And God says, what do you mean it's not about them? It wasn't about you until I sought you. How come you made it about you when I made it? I didn't make it all about me. That's what God is saying. I sought you. You didn't seek me. See, we think we sought him. That's when we get self-centered, sometimes we think that we were the ones who found him. We didn't realize he found us. You see? We're like, oh, yeah, I found God. What do you mean you found me? (laughs) You found me. You know? Ha, that's cute. You found me. Where'd you find me? In the, in the gutter? Is that where you found me? Or did I pull you out of it? I, you set my feet upon a rock. That's what the psalm says. You, set my, you took me out of the miry clay and set my feet upon the rock. Who did that? We did that? We found a book. That's what it was. We read half-priced books and we found a book. And we said, oh my gosh, look, I found God. The question becomes... An insight here, does the ark accept them? It's an interesting thing about the birds. Interesting insight from Rabbi, uh, Rabbi Monk. It says, Me'of Hashemayim, of the birds of the heavens. Rashi explains that this refers only to the pure birds, which will also um, later be offered as a sacrifice. Although the Torah does not specif- specifically use the word pure, in this case, as it did for the animals, according to Huskuni, when the, when the Talmud reports in Zebakim 116a that Noah recognized the pure species, how did he recognize them? It says he was able to recognize which birds were pure and which birds weren't pure by whether or not the ark accepted them or rejected them. Now, let's not forget that the word ark is... Uh, teva. And the word teva means ark, but it also means word. It also means like the word. So when you get into the ark, you get into the word. Now the teva is all, it's also used another time when it's talking about the basket that Moses was put into. That when Moses' mother took the basket, covered it with pitch, just like the ark, put her little baby boy in it and floated him down the river. And then Miriam, brave Miriam, followed behind to see what was happening. And it just so happened that the daughter of Pharaoh had decided that all these gods are fake gods. Right? Now, I want to tell you something. I believe, obviously, in halakhic conversion, right? I believe in halakhic conversion. We practice that here, and we encourage people to be uh, converted here. Now, there would be some people in the uh, various parts of the world who would say, your conversions aren't valid. Why? Well, they're not under the auspices of some imaginary group as if such group exists, which it doesn't. Okay? Some imaginary umbrella. There's no such umbrella. You say, well, they, are they approved by orthodoxy? Which one? <laughs> so you don't realize that there's multiple sects and they don't agree, but that's for another time. 
But for all those naysayers who say, well, it's not, it wasn't done under the auspices of Rabbi Yehuda, therefore it's not no longer valid. That's how they say it too. <laughs> it's not valid. I want to ask you, under what auspices did Batya, the daughter of Pharaoh, convert? Because according to the Talmud, when she went to the waters of the river to bathe, that that was a mikvah for conversion. She, the Ruach HaKodesh, awakened her to the reality that all the gods of Egypt were false gods. There was no rabbinical court that went to Batya. She had no Beit Din. There was nobody that oversaw her mikvah. In fact, in the movie, she sent all her women away. But I want you to watch what happened because the story of Batya speaks to a lot of people. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We have a Beit Din here. We have a conversion program here. And it's all Yeshua-based, Torah-based. There's no reason to go anywhere else. Unless you're just trying to please man and not God. But, you know, that's not you. Got to ask yourself, you know, if you want the recognition. So are your, are your conversions recognized? By who? Because this, this is important. By who? Well, by the Beit Din over in uh, Alice, Israel. Well, you know, maybe not, but they're approved by God. Which matters to you? I'm just asking. God approves them. Maybe some guy over there doesn't. But does that matter? I'm asking. It's because it's important. So anyway, so here it goes by you into the water, all by herself. Nobody's there. She's like, I don't know. I want to be mikveh. How does she know about mikveh? How does she know about mikveh? Ruch Kodesh. She goes into the water of the mikveh. What does she find immediately after she comes out of the water? A teva. What is God saying? He said, right after you converted, I led you to the word. She... Because she was willing all on her own. Nobody went to her. No rabbi went to her. No Beit Din went to her. Because she mikvahed all on her own and accepted the truth of the one true God all on her own, God gave her the word. She was given the ability and the great honor of raising Moses who would be known for the Torah. Do you realize that Moses' mother, for all intents and purposes, was a convert who got to raise the law of Moses? Do you realize that it was a convert who had, for all intents and purposes, a non-kosher conversion? Follow me now. It was her that was able to bring the law of Moses to Israel. That's right. So does the, does the ark accept them? Remember what the ark is. The ark is the word. Notice it didn't say, did, did Noah accept them? Or did Noah's sons accept them? Or did they collectively make a court as to accept them? But it says the word decided who was, who was worthy and who wasn't. Oh, this will preach. No, I'm about to get Pentecostal. <laughs> Believe me, I can do it. 
No, it was the word that decided who was worthy and who wasn't. See, when it comes down to it, my friends, it's not going to be the certificate that matters. Oh, we'll give you a certificate and they will too, but oh, that's not worthy. What's worthy is whether or not the word accepts you or not. And you start trying to trust in men. Listen, you know what I'm talking about here. Don't ever try to gain. Listen, the, the, one, of the, one of the, this is just, this, whether it's theology or whatever, just take what I'm about to tell you to the bank. If you live your life trying to, try to pleasing other people and gaining their acceptance, you are in prison. You are in prison. If you live your whole life trying to make other people happy and trying to please them and trying to get them to accept you, you are living in a prison. And by the way, it is a bad character trait. It is a character trait of weakness that you're not confident in who you are. Right? No one can take the covenant from me. You know why? I didn't make the covenant with them. I made it with God. Nobody can take it from me because they didn't give it to me. See, that's the whole thing. No one can steal from you that which they didn't give you, right? Or take back from you, rather, what they didn't give you. Well, you can let somebody steal it from you, I guess. So this, it says here, it is referring only to the species of birds, not to the quadrupeds. Noah was able to tell which quadrupeds were pure because he had studied the Torah. What? Isn't that interesting? Birds of the feather flock together. We know which ones are supposed to flock together because the word tells us. When, there's, when, there, when you're not really sure, the word will tell you. But Noah knew about the, the mammals because he had studied Torah. And he knew about the quadrupeds because he had studied Torah. The flood was a mikvah. We're about to find out that um, the real reason for the flood was not really judgment. Now, we're also about to find out, this is going to blow some people's minds, but we're about to find out that Kepha was a Pharisee. Someone says, I don't believe in the oral Torah. Well, that's a problem because Kepha did. Kepha's Peter, by the way. So I don't believe in all that oral Torah stuff. Well, man, the, the leader of the congregation, Peter, he did. You, you would have left his congregation. You would have you would have blocked him on Facebook and unsubscribed to his YouTube channel. Mm, that's devastating. Somebody unfriend me, I lose it, man. I'm, my whole week is run. They unfriended me. I'm no longer on their wall. The flood was a mikvah. That's what it says. 40 days and 40 nights, Rashi observes. This corresponds to the 40 days of formation of the fetus because, they're, because, because their misbehavior obliged their creator to create children from Ill illegitimate unions. Now, the reason that Hashem brought a mikvah on the earth is in order to purify the earth and to provide a means by which mankind can now make teshuva. This is why Yeshua taught to be mikvahed because you and I are a world. You're a world and I'm a world. Hashem mikvahed the whole world, which is why he wants to mikvah you because you're a world. And when you go to the mikvah, it enables 
your universe to be able to make teshuva. It's like Rebetzin was reading one time, I believe I'm, I'm stating this properly, but she was reading with um, Rebetzin Unger. Uh, I think I'm get, I hope I don't get my stories mixed up here, but about a woman who was not from an observant Jewish family and she was having a difficult time um, getting pregnant. And so the rabbi said, well, you know, you should have talked to your mother. Your mother should go to the mikveh to make teshuva, you know, for all the generations that uh, haven't gone to the mikveh, and then I believe that that'll, you know, help you get pregnant. So she went to her mother, and her mother was not observant, so she's like, uh, no, I don't want to do that. So she went to the grandmother, and the grandmother wasn't observant either, but the grandmother said, what could it hurt? What could it hurt? Her husband was like, don't do that. He's like, why not? What could it hurt? I go get dunked in some water, maybe it'll help. So her grandmother goes to the mikveh and gets mikveh. Next thing you know, her granddaughter gets pregnant. Why? Because she, the grandmother immersed her world in the, in the mikveh and changed the dynamic. See, Again, you know, this is what's beautiful about what I just said is that we're all waiting as we should and we're all anticipating the mikvah. And none of us can even believe it. I mean, I'm standing in it taking pictures and can't believe it. <laughs> Shlomo and Tirza live there and they can't believe it. And, and, it's, and we don't, we, we've not even, no eye has seen. I mean, you're not even going to believe what it looks like when it's finished. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, and, and wait till you see the floor. Something's coming. Rebusine picked out some light fixtures. Talk about that either. It's all deep secrets. Those are. S- I'm not good at keeping secrets, am I? But lots. I mean, you're gonna walk in and you're like, oh, it's gonna be amazing. But what's great about what I'm talking about here is that we're, and as I said, we're all can't wait till we get to go make for our own personal selves, right? Nobody can wait, okay? But what you have to understand is when you go to that mikvah, you're mikvahing your world. You're making it possible for your world, your universe, to make teshuva. And there's a lot of people here that are praying for their kids and grandkids. I'm just going to tell you that I believe the mikvah is going to have a powerful impact on that. Because of what we see here. He, says, he said, the 40-day period means that the catastrophe was destined to lead a, to a rebirth of mankind. The catastrophe of the flood, it says here, was to lead to a rebirth of mankind. A completely new generation had to be formed. And how do you make a completely new generation? Through the mikvah. That's how you make a completely new generation. It says, because of the 40 days needed to form the fetus, the ethical formation, the moral coming of age for man, is also connected to the number 40. The punishment inflicted in order to expiate a sin and to put a fallen man back on his feet consists of 40 lashes. Ritual purification is attained through immersion in a mikvah containing 40 seah of water. Incidentally, we have two mikvahs, which share an underground cistern. That's why the mikvah is so deep, if you saw the pictures. There's a cistern under there, and the cistern can consist of 80 seah of water because we have two mikvahs, like two Mashiachs. 
So when you go to the mikvah, you're actually mikvahing in a double portion of. It says, Jewry's upbringing in the desert lasted for 40 years. Moses was raised into the ideal of the Torah during the 40 days he stayed on Mount Sinai. So we see 40, 40, 40 all over the place. It says in the sparks of Hasidus, in the Hasidic insights, it says the flood came to purify the earth. Because the earth had become filled with robbery, with Hamas, we talked about last week, and corruption to the extreme and required purification. It was necessary to cause the earth to die. How did God cause the earth to die? By going in the waters of the mikvah. Therefore, when the water rescinded, receded rather, there was a resurrection of the whole earth that gave birth to a new generation able to make teshuva. So many people think that, that uh, baptism, water baptism, as it's commonly called, is a New Testament thing. There's nothing new in the New Testament, nothing new at all. So it says... Because the earth had become filled with robbery, it required purification. It was for this reason that the floodwaters came for 40 days, like a mikvah, which must contain a minimum of 40 say of rainwater. This is from Torah Or. It says, thus for the generation of the flood, the waters were a punishment. But for the world itself, the waters were a blessing since the world became cleansed through them. See, for, your, for our former life, the mikvah is a punishment, but for our life in the world to come, the mikvah is a blessing. This is why I want to encourage people, you've got to be careful about how you view the idea of conversion. And I understand because we live 2,000 years with all kinds of errant theology, and, and as I've said on the Aliyah day this week, that people say, well, do I need to get converted in order to be saved? And I understand the question. It makes total sense based on what people have been taught. But again, when you go back to the first century, that was a kind of an oxymoron question. Because there was no such thing of salvation without conversion. And everybody went through conversion, no matter if you're Jewish or non-Jewish. Everybody went through conversion. Which is, the picture of that is when we came out of Egypt, as we're standing, getting ready to accept the Torah, everybody went to the mikvah in order to be converted before we got the Torah because the sages say we were all idolaters coming out of Egypt. What's the spiritual picture of that? That's Batya walking down into the water, and she has to be mikvah before she can get the teva. So everybody has to go through conversion. And I just want to remind everybody that the phrase born again, new creation, son of Abraham, those are all three phrases directly connected with conversion. You can't separate that. You can't say, well, I'm now born again. Well, if you've been born again, really, in the first century, what would happen? In the first century, you would have been, you would, let's say, you know, you were in uh, wherever you were, Jaffa, and you're there with Cornelius. You happen to be, you were invited over to have lemonade. And there is Peter, and he's preaching. And you're like, man, I'm in. You would have been immersed in a mikvah. And when, he, when you come up out of the mikvah, he said, now you've been born again. You're a new creation. You're like a newborn babe. Your sins have gone, and you're a son of Abraham. You know what that means? You're Jewish. Say, so do I need that to be saved? I don't know. Did Kepha mikvah you? Let's go back to that scenario again. 
Why did Kepha do that? Because that's what Yeshua said to do. So it says, for, the, for the, this sheds light on the Torah's statement that the waters were both mild rain of blessing and at the same time torrential floodwaters. For even though the floods destroyed all the inhabitants of the world, they still had the positive effect of cleansing and purifying physicality itself. Now, there's nothing new in the New Testament, so let's go back to Peter. But did Peter, was Peter a Pharisee? Absolutely. Did he believe in the... Uh, teachings of the oral Torah like I just read? Absolutely. How do we know that? Because this is what he says. This First Peter chapter 3 and verse 13 said, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Come on. We need some people with some spiritual fortitude. Can I just tell you, we need some people with some spiritual fortitude. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Man, I, I wish I could teach on that. It says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts set apart Mashiach as Adon, as Lord. By the way, I'm just going to stop here. I'm gonna, this is an aside. In the mid-1700s, a little-known figure arose in Judaism. He was known as the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov had no smika. He didn't go to any yeshiva. He literally walked out of the forest, having been taught by a mystery person. And he led a movement known as, y'all probably heard of it, Hasidism. Okay? And it caught fire in Eastern Europe. All of the major rabbinical authorities at the time, every single one of them, led by the Vilna Gaon, led by the Vilna Gaon, my great-uncle Vilna, They all declared and made a decree that the Baal Shem Tov and all of his followers were heretics, idolaters. They were not Jews and not worthy of, of you allowing your daughters to marry them. You were not even allowed to, to give them shelter. And you, you were not allowed to buy their meat and eat it. It was considered non-kosher. They were, their books were burned in the public squares. And there was what's called a harem. There was harems written against them. Many of them that were published, banning them from all community and everything, 100%. They were considered 100% heretics, 100% idolaters, 100%, 100%. So what happened to the Baal Shem Tov and the Hasidim that followed him is they were vexed to the core that they were no longer accepted in, by the Jewish world and they all renounced Hasidicism and they reconverted, as it were, into traditional Judaism. And as, today, as, as of that reality, we have no Hasidim today. 
Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That's not the story. Actually, it goes differently. <laughs> Turns out that until he died, the Baal Shem Tov was considered to be a heretic. Everybody said he's, he's a heretic. He doesn't, even have, he doesn't have valid shmika. Didn't go to any yeshiva. And all of his followers are not Jewish. And anybody they brought to conversion, whatever. And his books were burned in the city streets. He, di- he died with people thinking that. All of, Judaism, all of Judaism, say all. All of Judaism thinking that. His predecessor, not his predecessor, but his, the, the guy that came next, same thing. Predecessor, say predecessor. Is that right? I don't know. Who, who cares? The next guy. Successor. Thank you. I'm successor. The next guy, same thing. The next guy, same thing. It wasn't until the altar Rebbe, nearly a hundred years later, that there was any level of reconciliation. A hundred years later. And what began as their absolute heretics, cast them out, ban them, don't even, you're not allowed to even give them shelter in your house. Now, Hasidism is the backbone of Judaism and the very very foundation of it. Now, Sar Shalom began about, what is it? What are we going on now? Nine years ago? Eight years ago? Nine, ten, something like that? Almost ten? If we follow the timeline, we have 90 years. So why, why do some people want to abandon ship? Did ba- the Baal Shem Tov give up? You know? And everybody's like, well, they, they don't accept us. So? And? So what? Well, they just, they refuse to, whenever they say, I say Yeshua, they say Yeshu. Well, would you like my hanky? <laughs> By the way, Dr. F- uh, Dr. Uh, Flusser says that Yeshu is how they pronounced Yeshua's name in Galilee by their accent. So in actuality, what they mean is a curse is actually a blessing because they're saying it the way Kepha said it. Wow. Come on. I don't want to be the rabbi of a bunch of wimps. I'm serious, y'all. Can I just be serious for I don't I need if you're a wimp, quit. Get out. I'm raising commandos here. I don't have time for all this nasally drip stuff going on around here. I'm just that's just not my personality. I fight to win. You know? So if you're scared, quit. I'll just stand up like the priest did in the front of the army. Who here is scared? Quit. I ain't going to battle with you. I'm not going to get killed because you're, you're cowering in a corner. Saving Private Ryan kind of stuff. We ain't doing that around here. I'm just saying. Is that okay to say? Y'all okay? If that bothers you, quit. But anyway, going back to Kepha. 
Um, it says here, but in your heart, set apart Messiah as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Messiah may be ashamed of their slander. It's slander. You know, I mean, no one likes to think about this, but if we're being slandered, it's actually a good thing. If everybody's accepting you, that's probably not good. Right? Right? So it says here, um, it is better if, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Messiah died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. So Messiah, went; he went the distance. He, he paid it all. He allowed himself to be... I want you to think about that for a moment. Messiah was blindfolded. They slapped him in the face and spit at him by his own people. They hit him, and they said, prophesy to us, rabbi. Rabbi, they called him rabbi. They knew he was a Pharisee. They prophesied, they said, prophesy to us, rabbi, who is hitting you? They reached up and grabbed his beard and pulled it out. That hurts. Sometimes those little, those little girls, little boys you're holding, reach up and grab your beard and go, ah, ha, ha, ha. And they're little bitty babies. They beat him, and the, the Roman king, the Roman governor, rather, said, this is your guy. And they said, he's not our guy. Crucify him. We cast him out, and we come along. <laughs> They're rejecting me. <laughs> They're rejecting me. I'm brother. I don't know what to do about it. They don't accept my Judaism. Anybody blind and followed you and said, prophesy on me to rabbi who's hitting you? God, we're so weak. The first day of boot camp, they stood up and said, none of y'all are going to make it. A lot of people didn't. So it's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Messiah died for the sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Whoa, wait a minute. Kepha is saying that Yeshua was so merciful that he went back to those spirits that were drowned in the flood and preached to them. Wow. That's how merciful and gracious God is. He didn't even reject them. It says, it says here, in the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, it is only a few people, eight and all, who were saved through the water. I want you to think about that. Imagine that here's Noah and he's 
preached his whole life and built this ark and begged people, please come in. Now, there was some criticism of Noah, which hopefully we'll get to in a second, but please come in, please come in. And when it was all said and done, it was him and seven other people. But did Noah quit? Did he set the ark on fire and say, well, forget it then? I want you to look around. And all you people on camera, I want you to look around. Are all, there's more than eight people here. Uh, there's hundreds, literally there's hundreds of people watching online right now. The Tulsa Synagogue, I don't know how many people are in Tulsa Synagogue right now, probably 10, 20, 30, 50. That's more than eight. And we all get down on the mouth sometimes and know and feel defeated and know I only had eight, 120 years of ministry, eight people. 120 years of preaching his guts out from a long lineage. From Enoch to Methuselah to him, and eight. He walked away with eight. People would say Noah had a failed ministry. And yet, because of Noah and his family, we end up with Melchizedek and on down the line. It says, now here we're getting to my original point that Kepha, <laughs> Kepha believed in the oral Torah. How? This is what he said. It is only a few people ate in all that were saved, and this water symbolizes a mikvah that now saves us also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. So Kepha brings down to concur with the rabbinic writing that yes, in fact, the, the flood was a mikvah, and it's that same mikvah that is presently saving us as well. Is this helping anybody? I really want to know. Is it helping you? I mean, I hope it is. And I don't want to just be... I want to help people. I want to help people live fruitful lives. We, Judaism, by the way, believes in salvation by grace. As it says here, it says in the Midrash Shabbat, 32, Simon 2, or Simon 1 rather, it says, and I from Psalms 5, 8, meaning that as the generation of the flood had done, so did I, Noah, and therefore what difference should there be between me and them, except that you have dealt kindly with me and you have said to me, come to the ark, you and your whole household. What it's saying here is that Noah realized that there was no reason for him and his family to be saved that he deserved punishment also. But he said, the only reason that I'm being saved is because of your grace, because of your tender mercy. The problem with this generation is they understood the grace of God too, but they took it to an extreme. They said God is, it says here in the Midrash Shabbat, that, that they said God will never judge us. He's too much of a God of love. They've taken it to a, a, an extreme. Now, what was Noah's failure? This is a, a lesson for us. The Hasidic insights say we learn above, we learn rather, I should say, from the Zohar, that the generation of the flood was destroyed because Noah did not pray for their salvation. Since he knew that it was his own personal safety was assured, 
But it does say this seems to contradict what Rashi said, that Noah spent no less than 120 years rebuking the people to repent. So how does that mesh? So it says the Hasidic teaching explains that Noah lacked the quality of self-sacrifice in his dedication to God's command to rebuke his generation. Thus, Noah only rebuked the generation because he was commanded to do so. His main priority, though, was to discharge the obligation which God had given him, and it did not bother him too much whether the generation would repent or not. So his rebuke was lacking sincerity, and thus it was unsuccessful. Like we're, we're rebuking the people, we want them to turn to God, but whether they turn to God or not, you know, I'm in the ark. And what we're learning here is that when we don't have that sincerity, when we don't have that unction, when we don't have those tears, when we don't ha- understand what God has done for us and the privilege that we're sitting in right now and the desire, the desire to see people receive that knowledge and therefore that salvation, when we don't have that sincerity, we won't have success. It says, in contrast, Moses demonstrated what is called miserat nefesh, that is self-sacrifice. With his generation, at the risk of being eliminated, he pleaded to God, if you forgive their sin, then well and good, but if not, then blot me out of your Torah that you have written. The problem, like many of us, is that Noah had forgotten the mission of Abraham. It says in the Midrash Rabbah 30, Simon 8, Rabbi Hanina and Rabbi Yochanan both said, Abraham recognized his creator at the age of 48 years. If so, how can I interpret the word hayah, was, as in the verse, Abraham was but one, since it can no longer be said that he was equally righteous throughout his entire life. It means that he was predestined, it says here, to guide the whole world into repentance. Moses' mission, it doesn't say the Jewish people. It says Moses' mission was to lead the whole world into following, into making teshuva. Why? Well, the Midrash Rabbah 32, Simon 5, gives us an answer. It says here unequivocally what many people refute. You know, people say, Today, in the Messianic world, for instance, the, the, gen, the Torah is not for Gentiles. Okay, that's a whole other topic on that. But I just want to, the idea, that's not really what they mean, but you've got to peek behind the curtain. But we don't have time to go there right now. But just the idea is that the Torah is for Jews, but the Torah is not for non-Jews, right? That's what they say. And in Judaism, it's said a little differently, but it's, there's, it's said Noahide, right? There's no such thing as a Noahide anyway, but that's another topic as well. But this is what the Midrash Rabbah says, okay? Here it says, For in seven more days' time I will send rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. By the way, the seven days has to do with the mourning period for the death of Methuselah. God mourned Methuselah seven days, and then he started the flood. And actually, the sages say that he started the flood and then turned it off for seven days and started it back, hoping that people would repent in seven days. So it says, For in seven more days... Rabbi Simon, or Shimon Slika ben Yokai said the generation of the flood had transgressed the Torah. What was their sin? Listen to this. It says the generation of the flood 
was that they transgressed the Torah. That's the God is saying the whole world, all mankind has transgressed the Torah. Now listen to what it says. I want you to think about it because remember in Torah, there's no time. That's why you can say before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain. There's no time. That's why you can't say the Torah ended at a particular time because time is a product of Torah, not the other way around. Time itself is a product of Torah. So it says here, the generation of the flood was punished because they transgressed the Torah, which was given to Moses after he had been on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. What? They're held accountable for the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai at the flood. Wait a minute. It was the flood, then Mount Sinai, centuries later, wasn't it? Yes, but Mount Sinai was only a re-giving of the Torah that had already been given. So it says, and therefore God sent the rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaikai said, the generation of the flood debased the human image, which is given after 40 days from the time of conception, and therefore God sent the rain for 40 days and 40 nights. In the footnotes it says, God had not yet revealed the Torah at the time of the flood, and hence the people could not have been held liable for failing to uphold it. However, many of the Torah's common com commandments are mandated by common sense and logic, which we excel at here. It says, particularly those involving interpersonal dealings, and it was for violating these that they were punished. Alternatively, God had in fact sought to give the Torah to the generation of the flood, but they refused it, and it was for this refusal that they were punished. What? So we say, well, the Torah is not for non-Jews. You're taking them back to the generation of the flood. Because when the, when the people rejected the Torah, that's when punishment came. Because to reject Torah is, are you ready for it? To reject God. You can't have God without Torah. You cannot have God without Torah. There is no God without Torah. Because you can't have a king without rulership. So one final thing. I just want to share with you one last thing here. Moses' rebuke to Noah. And again, it's a reminder to, for all of us. Instead of being scared, we need to be motivated. It says, Noah's second mistake was more seriously serious. This is from Ma'am Loez. He should not have quietly acquiesced to the flood. He should have stormed the very gates of heaven with fasting and prayer, seeking mercy from God. Noah offered a sacrifice after the flood, as we shall see, but he, he really should have brought it before the flood. It might have caused the decree to be revoked. Noah was only concerned with himself and his family, which was not a proper attitude. So Ma'am Loez continues and says, The righteous must be concerned with their contemporaries. We thus find that after the sin of the golden calf, Moses prayed for his people and said, If you forgive them, it will be wonderful, but if not, erase me from your book. Noah should have done this, and if necessary, offered himself as an atonement for his generation. But Moses died 
or it says before Moses died, rather, he met with the chief saints of each age and discussed their accomplishments. Noah said to, to Moses, I am greater than you. I survived the great flood. Moses replied, yes, you survived, but you survived alone. Why didn't you save your contemporaries? Why didn't you offer your very soul as I did when I saved all of Israel? We say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai.